0: too much scrolling i'm steve i'm chip and we have all the information you need to survive another week new shows published every tuesday find us on itunes and stitcher and tune in radio and you are listening to the doctor who target book club podcast we'll see you in the future Hello fellow time travelers and welcome back to the Doctor Who Target Book Club, the podcast in which we undertake the ambitious task of discussing in-story order all of the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Witt and today we have an equally ambitious three-person discussion panel including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979, that would be me... There's also our intermediate level casual fan who has seen several episodes but has not previously read any of the books until these podcasts. And this time it's the worthy Dalton Hughes. Hello, Dalton.
1: Hello. It's and me. Yes, it is. I'm yours. here.
0: You're here. <laughs> and get used to it. Yeah. And finally, there's our semi novice fan. One who has seen little to none of the original series and has not previously read any of the books except for the ones we've done for this podcast. And this time around, it's the wise and willy Allison Fitch Seyfried. Hello, Allison.
2: Hello, Tony.
0: There we go. Before we get to talking about the book, please remember our new Patreon available at patreon.com forward slash BC. Depending on the amount you give per month, you will receive, among other possible goodies, a randomly chosen BBC book, not a Target book. We know you all have them. As a gift for supporting us, just to say thank you for being willing to help us stay on the virtual air. We are still doing the sweepstakes. We're still trying to hit our funding level by April 6th, 2018. If we do that, then some lucky patron is going to get my gently used copy of the first edition of Doctor Who and an Exciting Adventure with the Daleks in hardcover in the original pink dust jacket. Pink. I know it's pink. I thought I showed that to you. Oh, that's right. You didn't record that episode Mm -hmm. with us. I'll have to show it to you. I'm
1: a fan of pink though.
0: Yeah, because the second edition is this dull gray. It's terrible. They didn't know what they were doing. (laughs) Um, So, if you want to find out more about that, go to our website there and there's video and it details all these giveaways and so on and so forth. As usual, we'd like to thank our regular patrons, Bart Lammy, Rick Taylor, and Toby Bengelsdorf.
1: Thanks, guys. Thank you.
0: We especially want to thank Rick Taylor, who went out to Gallifrey One last week and dumped a big bunch of our flyers there. So hopefully we have some new listeners from Gallifrey One in Los Angeles area. That would be lovely. Someday we would love to do a live performance there when we have enough money and time.
2: Did he dump them on a table? or some other public area more so. he recycled them to save the earth <laughs> no from us? I,
0: I I think he I think he left them there which is fine because he asked he asked if he couldn't but he did yeah. it was lovely so thank you Rick thanks for <clears your throat> yeah
3: thank
0: this month we're still celebrating the month of February which in America is designated as Black History Month in the only way that we can by looking at the two back-to-back stories written by the writer Ian Stuart Black. Amazingly, both stories have something to do with the themes and history generally associated with this month, as we noted last time, so we're going to try to link it all together as best we can. This time, we're discussing Black's novelization of his script, The War Machines. Without further ado, here's some fast facts. Doctor Who, The War Machines, adapted by Ian Stewart Black from the script that aired from 625-66 to 716-66, published by Target Books in September 1989. As of this recording in February 2018, this title is currently out of print, 144 pages. All right. The reason that Ian Stewart Black ended up doing what only two other writers in the history of the program have ever done, writing two back-to-back scripts, is mainly because he was there. <laughs> he was available. <laughs> he had just submitted The Savages when Pat Dunlop, the writer who was assigned to write this script based on the script idea of Kit Pedler, who is the show's new scientific advisor and co-creator of The Cybermen, which we'll be getting on quite soon, when... Pat Dunlop proved to be unavailable. Several things are noteworthy about this televised story. It's the first time that a companion will leave and two new companions will join the show. It's the first time the credits for each episode are done in a, a special font specific to that story. Okay. In fact, I've got to chase down oh. that font and see if I can do it for the podcast because it would be super <laughs> duper fun.
3: Yeah.
0: Um. It's also... The first, but not only, time that the Doctor is referred to as Doctor Who on screen. Mm. In fact, it happens when Votan calls for him. He doesn't say doctor, the Doctor is required. He says Doctor Who is required. <laughs> and just so you know, it's not a mistake... Um, the main human character, the one who created Wotan in the first place repeats it and says, Hmm. yes Dodo will bring Doctor Who to us and it's like, Mm -hmm. oh my. Is there any kind of
2: in-story reference or explanation
0: to why it's different now? No. None. And obviously by the time he got around to novelizing this someone had gotten to him and said, uh, no because you don't see that in the uh, in the novelization. No, it's not there. It's not there at all, which is a lovely thing. But the fan theories about it are that Votan is either so intelligent that he knows that he can't just call somebody the doctor and not have a surname. So he puts Doctor Who there as a placeholder. Like Like Dr. Blank,
2: John Yeah, Exactly,
0: like a computer would do. Or, Votan is so incredibly intelligent that he knows he's appearing in a show called Doctor Who, ah. and that is the actual name of the character. I like that. It's a weird one, but the this, this script isn't that deep. Yeah. I mean, it is deep, but it's not that deep. Most importantly, this is the first time a companion leaves the show off screen. And believe it or not, that happens at least once one time more for different reasons. This last one tends to piss the fans off, but there's another one of those real-world business decisions behind it. Uh, Jackie Lane, who played Dodo, was only contracted to play two more episodes, and rather than make a one-off payment to her to return in episode four and say goodbye properly, we get her second-hand goodbye in episode four instead. I can only think that Ian Stewart Black got wind of how disappointing his send-off of Stephen was in the novelization of The Savages, because none of us like that. Because my God, does he go out of his way to make Dodo send off at least eventful
2: on well, the page? Well, bitch, she is ditching the doctor. Sorry, yeah. I can't be bothered. It's right. been real, which I yeah. thought was very funny. But when I <laughs> joked last time that she go to live with a nice farm family, I was joking. I didn't yeah. realize she would actually be sent off to the country and never come yes. back. Yes,
0: and believe it or not, we will have a companion who will who will end up staying with a nice farm family within the next. Um, year or so (laughs) but i won't go into that speaking of jackie lane she's never come back to play dodo unlike everybody else who's still alive from the hartnell era she's never reprised her role and in fact the last time she did anything who related on film was a pre-recorded cameo for a special a few years back and you can't even find that anymore because the bbc cut her bit out of it when they posted it online wow so as a result, right. Do, yeah, I know. As a result, Dodo is woefully underrepresented in print and audio media, but she has at least two possible fates. According to the standalone book Who Killed Kennedy, which is about the doctor and the I
2: really hope she killed Kennedy. she Dodo killed Kennedy?
0: No, uh. but she ends up getting killed. She gets shot in the head as a matter of fact. Oh. Yeah. And according to um, a missing adventure called The Man in the Velvet Mask, which takes place between the savages and the war machines, she manages to contract a deadly sexually transmitted disease from an alien... (laughs) And it is implied heavily in the prose that she will die as a result of said STD. Seems after like she a leaves. very low blow. Oh my god, that book is so... Oh my god, it's just... It makes traveling in the TARDIS sound like the worst thing you would ever want to do. So,
1: the two options we have, Dodo, just is dead.
0: Dead as a Dodo. Exactly. Either way. Ugh. Either way. Now... Now, while this is the final story to be aired for season three, it's not the last one that was filmed. That would be The Smugglers, which was filmed next to give everybody a breather before the new season started filming. And as we'll discover next month, an even bigger cast change would result from the filming of that story. Yeah, we'll get
1: there. Dot, dot, (laughs) dot, dot. You saw that in my script.
0: So, first impressions. Uh, Dalton, let's start with you.
1: What a change. Yeah. From the last book. Mhm. Like, so? just the writing style is completely different. It just mm-hmm. this one seems more more action oriented, but also just more I don't I liked the last story, but this one is is more fun to me. Mm-hmm. It, it's more engaging. Yeah, I, like immediately I'm like drawn into what's happening. And, I mean, part of that is because The doctor is immediately drawn into what's happening. But, uh, but yeah, just, just from the beginning, it's, it's like, we are hitting the ground running.
0: Yeah. And like I said in my notes, who would have thought that the same writer who gave us the savages would write an opening paragraph like that? Oh yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. That opening paragraph is just beautiful compared to the savages, which is just, oh, they landed. (laughs) We're here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just
1: really, really enjoyed this one. Um. Perfect. From beginning to end.
2: All right,
0: Allison. First impressions.
2: You told us how it's coming. Yeah, I agree with Dalton. He dramatically upped his game in terms of scene <laughs> setting, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think of the story itself as that much better or worse overall because the, the, you know, to, to break the tremendous suspense of what my final analysis will be, I thought once again he had some really good ideas to work with, but at the end it kind of all. All his big ideas sort of dissipate mm-hmm. in, into just <clears throat> thought machinations that aren't bad but don't yeah. live up to the, the great premise uh, to begin with. But yeah, but some of his, his set pieces in this are really nice and dramatically better set in the last book. And even the characterizations, even though they're still quite simple, they still are much more lively and less wooden than in the previous book. Huh?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And even though I, we, you know, we, we had kind of been given the hint about Dodo leaving and new companions coming. Whenever Ben and Polly were introduced, I immediately knew who they were, what they were doing, Mm -hmm. the characterizations of them, their actions, everything... (laughs) helped me realize, oh, yeah, okay, they're yeah. going to gonna end up with the yeah. Doctor. And aren't they great? They're fantastic. I love it.
2: And, okay, maybe I'm the hard the harder one here. I do not think they were great, but I thought even <laughs> though they were simply rendered, they were actually much more emotionally resonant than the Doctor was mm-hmm. in this story. Yeah. Where it yeah. really brought out the misanthropy in a way that we haven't seen in a few books.
0: That is true. Yeah. That is very true.
2: Because they continually seem to contrast <laughs> Ben and Polly... You know, trying to keep it to for, from dying with the doctor saying, <laughs> oh, you know, you got to break some eggs, can't win them all, whatever. Why are you still looking for this person? Yes. You know, in a way that we, they sort of laid off of in recent books.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not in the televised version as much either. It's the weirdest thing because you're right. And we're jumping ahead a little bit to that scene where the doctor eventually sends the reprogrammed war machine into the tower to destroy Votan knowing full well the Polly is probably going to be there and he's mm-hmm. like oh that's fine and then ben says i've got to save her mm-hmm. and the doctor says why would you want to do that or right. something along those lines but yeah that's not quite on screen still it is weird yeah mm-hmm. but the
1: the chemistry you know whenever whenever ben is in the tower trying mm-hmm. to save her Yes. The, the the back and forth of him mm-hmm. all right well she's doing her thing but i need to save her okay well the, the thing is there oh crap yes. just the back and forth it's very comedic and, and yeah it, it shows that he cares for her yes you know she of course is is under the spell of the war, the war machine but uh you, you get that. You mm-hmm. get that back and forth. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you feel like, kind of like Barbara and Ian, like there is a chemistry there. Yes.
2: But it's not overblown. This easily no. could have been, you know, people who d- technically didn't make it to their first date they met. Despite <laughs> his clinical depression, they headed off. Um, <laughs> but I thought it was kind of overplayed and everything. But when the doctor asks you why are you trying so hard to save her he says well she saved me and later you know Mm -hmm. even when she's under the mind control of wotan um you know polly's thinking well he's my friend it's not an overblown melodramatic great love yet it's they hit it off but it's a much more basic human connection Yeah, yeah
0: it's a totally yeah exactly Um, and not to really give anything away even though that's exactly I'm I'm about to do Polly and Ben have been can uh, established in canon at least through the audios as being a married couple when they left after they left they did end up marrying each other and they've stayed together apparently till now till like 2017 which is really lovely is the actor who played Mm. Ben unfortunately Michael craze died some time ago of cancer But, yeah, they have that marvelous chemistry on screen. And what gets me is that Ian Stewart-Black manages to capture it on the page, which is really tricky to do. Yeah.
2: But in a way that is light and appropriate to the circumstance. Yeah. It's very easy. Well, I mean,
1: they even say in the book they haven't known each other that long. No, not at all. They just met a couple days before.
0: Mm -hmm. And he was a gloomy Gus at the bar that night, too. Yeah,
1: yeah, so...
0: Which is just adorable because Ben really is adorable. Yeah, yeah. So. Exactly. <laughs> so much, so much to like. I'm yes.
2: actually such an idiot on this. I didn't realize they were going to be the new companions. I thought they were going to die. So, really? Yeah. <laughs> okay.
0: So you thought that they were side characters, but being I different... thought Ben was going to
2: die. Yeah, and Polly might or might not make it.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: But I wasn't. Once again, I'm never trying to figure out what's going on. If I mean, what's going to happen if I do figure out what's going to happen? It's because it's being written badly.
0: I. W- I'm glad you're on the podcast for reasons like this because Well if I'd been course, trying to
2: think who's the new companion gonna be it would have been obvious I just wasn't even right. trying to right. figure it out.
0: Exactly. So. Right. Mm-hmm. But you knew that they were going to be Well, there. it's like I
1: said, if if I had if I hadn't had the information that Dodo was leaving in this book and we will get and just understanding kind of the way The way the, Doctor the, who the Doctor operates. operates.
2: It could have been kind of amusing if it was like Sir Charles and he's just sort of doddering around being a useless <laughs> <Yes>. ass covering <laughs> bureaucratic idiot. Oh I know. <laughs> that, that, yeah. I'm sure the charm would have worn off of that relatively quickly though.
0: I, I think they I still think they should do a character like that for at least two or three episodes but then mm-hmm. let him go home because they've had bureaucrats like that who've actually been invited onto the TARDIS and it's like, Oh, well, they didn't end up going. Yeah. It's kind of a shame really.
1: Um, just question, um is there ever a time when the doctor only has a single companion? Because yes. so, fa- so far, for the most part, we've had two companions or even three when there was still Susan. Yes,
0: but it's not the standard yet.
2: Yeah, and here we had like basically a hot minute when it was just Dodo. And then...
0: Yeah, in fact, this story is land, essentially yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but you can't even count this story, really, because she's... She's there and gone. She's there and gone for the first two episodes. And, and she's not really doing companion stuff. She's doing victim stuff.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and so Ben Ben has, like, taken up the mantle before he's even officially a companion, you know? He is the number two Mm -hmm. to the Doctor in this story.
0: And something that strikes me, and this goes back to what um, Allison was talking about with the misanthropy, it's something that struck me, and this was like... How willing the doctor was to put Ben in the way of harm mm-hmm. and th- uh, as cannon fodder. He's like, yeah. "Oh, my dear boy, maybe you could go down there and see what they're doing down there.
2: Maybe mm-hmm. you stand in front of the guns. Yeah, see yeah standing standing in front of the guns. The
0: guns. <laughs> Let us know how how much they hurt when they, when they shoot you." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, "Good lord, I I've never seen." Even the first Doctor be quite that cold-hearted about it, but I guess if this is a companion in training... I was going to say, it's, it's it. almost like a
1: test. It kind of like, is. It's like, let's see how this guy can play things out. Will, will he be up to snuff? You know? Right.
0: Here's the thing, to the, the actual answer to your question. The Doctor is not going to have a single companion until 1970. Okay. That's going to be the third Doctor. And from then, the pattern is established with uh, Liz, then Joe Grant... Then Sarah Jean Smith, they briefly get a, a male companion for uh, with Sarah, mm-hmm. with the fourth doctor, but that's only because they had thought they were casting an older actor for the fourth doctor, and they got Tom Baker, who's probably the most virile person they'd ever <laughs> had in the role. So he didn't last long, obviously. And from there on, you get single companions, except for K-9, who is, he is a companion, but, you know, a human it's, companion, a yeah. single companion. yeah. That pattern lasts all the way until, and Allison, you have seen the story with the Logopolis, hmm. Tom Baker's last one. And you gotcha. saw not only Adric, but you saw uh, Nyssa being reintroduced, and you saw Tegan introduced. Yes. Here's, here's the deal with that. They tend to do this when they don't think that the Doctor is going to be quite as strong. I have a feeling that they thought that the Fifth Doctor, played by Peter Davison, wasn't going to be as strong a character, so he needed a cast around him. Mm, That makes sense. So that's why he has three companions, which is insane. Hoping that
2: everyone will like at least one of these characters. Exactly. Exactly. And I
0: didn't think anything of it until they went back to the one companion model Mm -hmm. after that. Uh, So Colin Baker, one companion um, at a time. Uh, Sylvester McCoy, one companion at a time new series tends to be one companion at a time.
3: Yeah,
0: And then Jodie Whittaker is going to have three. Hmm. And I don't know what to think of that. On the one hand, part of me says, are they honestly thinking that since she's a female Doctor, she's going to need to be propped up with as many people as possible? Or... Are they doing a new beginning in such a way that they're going back to the Hartnell era where you had three people and it was kind of like a family traveling around in the TARDIS.
2: Or they might have a personality where she's just more social and prefers to have more people around. And I think that might be Although that's not, but they play Hartnell as not really seeming to like people much at all. They have him surrounded by a cast of thought. Yes.
1: But it also makes me think too, uh, a lot of the the newer series has very complex story arcs. Mm Mm-hmm. So having more companions allows you to have really complex things going on. Well
2: if you if, have yeah. cannon fodder
0: companions. Well, yes. If too. you have companions that are actually being developed. Yeah. Doctor Who doesn't tend to do that, as we've seen. If anything, they come on and they're really strong at first, and then they just die at yeah. the death of a thousand cuts until yeah. they leave. Yeah, it rarely happens the other way. Speaking of Dodo... <laughs> Speaking of Dodo, yes. yes, let's talk about Dodo. Oh, Dodo, we hardly knew you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 What do we think? Ah, uh, now that we've seen the entirety of her time on the tarless
3: uh,
1: <laughs> ah. I don't. I don't hate Dodo. I just. I wasn't attached to her. Yeah. she. I was. I mean, I was more attached to Stephen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Strangely enough, so was I. I
2: think the point that might just be his duration, though he was around with no personality much longer than she was around with That's no true. personality. That's true. That's true.
0: That is true. But yeah, she. Uh, how many stories did we say she's had? Five.
2: From, I'm actually not that shocked when you describe the the actor having a sort of most detached relationship in her later career with this show. Like I said, I haven't seen any of her actual performances, but if the scripts were written like this, it's a pretty thankless part. It's hard to do much with it. Oh, Yeah. yeah,
0: and it's especially thankless when it tends to ruin your career because if I remember correctly, she was one of the first actresses who said that she couldn't really get any other parts after really so mm-hmm. she ended up going something where? like that yeah mm-hmm. and she ended up becoming a—I um, hope i'm remembering this correctly i'm sure uh pedanther will uh uh correct me um but she became an agent for hmm. actors afterwards okay. Jan- <laughs> janet fielding had, rather um, a heel turn <laughs> yes right. well see uh, janet fielding when you saw the convention she actually is Doctor. an agent now
2: now she is the predator <laughs> yeah very
0: much so well you know australians
2: <laughs> kidding
0: kidding i'm so sorry miss fielding i don't feel that way at all okay but yeah so we got dodo and yeah no vicky and that's hard it's hard to say that it's like she's no vicky christ if that's your bar yeah
2: <laughs> so talk about how the doctor regards dodo here mm-hmm. because there's this really weird scene that i'm somewhat preoccupied with because i can't quite untangle what the writer's doing. Okay. That's the first scene with Wotan. All right. And, um, Dodo's really interested mm-hmm. in it in a way that makes sense. And the doctor is strangely exasperated by. It. So, uh, the professor, uh, is explaining how it works. Um, president Brett's explaining how it works. Who is this? So, you know, Oh, uh, Dodo's, uh, she's my secretary. So, you know, it makes sense to so the cover story. He's, you know, I actually like the part where, um, the doctor uses Ian's name to get in. He's like, oh, Ian will be a really respected scientist by now. Yes. Yeah. I, I actually thought that. there might be sort of a cameo in the book. There wasn't in the I episode. I was waiting for that, yes. But did not materialize. Wouldn't so. that have been lovely? Right, so she's asking about it. So the professor explains the machine, and he says, all right, so power and complexity count machine is about to be linked with a worldwide network of similar computers, an international bank, a central intelligence with immense capacity. But to do what, persisted Dodo. The professor hesitated. Then he said, To think, Miss Chapel. That's what we'll be able to do. Think. For example, and like this all seems imminently sensible as a line of questioning when he's you know, displaying this mind blowing technology. Right. But then we've got the doctor's thoughts here. Stephen had once said that Dodo could be like a dog with a bone. The doctor was inclined to agree to this on this point. Like, my God, yes. she's expressing curiosity about something fascinating and you're annoyed. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, but then later in the scene... All right, so the professor explains that it could be, the that Wotan could be used, for example, to diagnose... A mechanical problem with a plane in like transatlantic flight it could be used to assist a doctor in a remote location with information all these sophisticated things and she's kind of like overwhelmed by the information which also makes sense here Mm -hmm. and then you know polly's introduced polly says well you seem like you've been working hard let's go dancing tonight and the doctor's like yeah you wouldn't want to go to this meeting anyway (laughs) you wouldn't want to go to the press meeting like what 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 does he want from her in this scene i really don't know he 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 finds it weird when she's fascinated by the technology.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: He tells her she wouldn't really be interested in this press meeting that explains the technology when she's a little overwhelmed instead of helping her understand. Yes. It, they're saying, oh, you should come to the meeting. You should learn more about it. Exactly. <clears throat> Are we to explain that this written version of the Doctor doesn't want his companions to be curious about the world and about science, but to yeah. re- go dancing instead? I think that's about right. That's, that's, that's kind of a weird beat.
0: Isn't it? Either that or, and this is something that worries me just a little bit. You get all of that foreshadowing about her leaving, yeah. Um, about him thinking that she's going to leave, and it's almost as if he's like, "Well, you're going to be leaving soon anyway. There's no need for me to keep, you know, keep after you. Go and have fun, and I'm sure you'll be fine. You're you're leaving hey, me don't anyway."
2: Don't try to understand the world. Don't be try. Don't be curious about the universe. Don't yeah. be aware of th- it's 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 different than when he's trying to keep up a brisk front when Susan has left. Yes. And he doesn't want the other companions to know that he's sad, that he misses her, he says her name by by mistake. Yeah. He really does not seem to care if she lives or dies much at all. He's never
0: going to mention her name again.
2: And that, it's it's, it's an odd beat in many ways.
0: It really is. But
1: he does seem sad at the end of the book that she's gone. Mm Mm-hmm a little bit a little i mean She's not
2: sad or just insulted that she just bounced without no, rel- no 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 coming no, no, no. To there goodbye. is
1: there is a moment i need to find the page there oh, is a moment right. where he genuinely
0: <laughs> seemed it he, he um Oh yeah, I have a note about that in chapter thirteen. Yeah, it's, it's
1: yeah. at the it's at the very end.
0: We're...
2: I remember rereading that, trying to figure out which girl was supposed to be the wretched one in that context. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> oh. he's complaining about Paula. Is he complaining about? It's Dodo? going to be
0: whoever he is responsible for at the moment.
1: And, and I don't know if it maybe it was that he is sad that she was gone, but the the line is he took the key. Uh, the, he took the key of the TARDIS from his pocket. It was going to be a sad business traveling alone in space after the company of his many young friends. Never, nevertheless, he had a duty.
2: It's not even specific to her. Like, oh, I am so sad. There's no one around to hear my head roar and to pay attention to <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah. And to make me feel important.
0: Which is something. I've that,
2: lost another meat sack. Yeah, that's true.
0: And that's something that the 11th Doctor will explicitly show us later on when we get the Matt Smith Doctor and we get the Dream Lord, which is basically his subconscious trying to torture him. He's going to accuse himself of always preferring the company of the young, the old man just can't stand not having an audience. And it's like, yeah, and this is where it starts, essentially. Yeah. So that might be it. I, I think there is some genuine, some bit of sadness there. But he also mentioned Steven. Yeah, so it's like, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and you know, and I don't know if it's too, kind of the feeling that I have with 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 Dodo. You know, the Doctor barely knew her as we barely knew her, so he didn't have time to get as attached to her. True, but he yeah. still feels bad that after you know he even says after I showed her all of time and space. And she wants to stay in London? <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: exactly.
0: But again... Yeah,
2: Polly's like, well, she's from here. It's her home. Yeah. It makes right. sense. So, well, it,
0: look at what he's shown her, though. <laughs> well,
1: exactly. So it's it's one of... It is it is confusing. Right. Because you, you get little bits of feeling and little bits of, like, I wish she would have given me time. Yeah. I wish she would have stuck with me a little longer and I could have maybe shown her, you know, I'm imagining Aladdin i uh, <laughs> flying on the map.
3: <laughs> I can show you the world
2: Shining,
3: shimmering, splendid Tell me... Do-do. Now when did you last Let your heart decide
1: But yeah, it's kind of that idea of like I just didn't have enough time to right. Let her get it. Yeah, no, I it's see
3: that.
1: But I mean, fuck. She was... <laughs> She was hypnotized by a supercomputer. Yes. And she was probably like, no, 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 no. No. Mm-mm. Bye. Sorry. Yeah. Thanks thanks for the memories.
0: There might have been some genuine trauma there. And yeah. he doesn't even think about the genuine trauma.
2: Yeah. Which is something that
0: one of those... That book, mm-hmm. Who Killed Kennedy, actually does go into.
2: Well, I thought they were intentionally setting that up in contrast to Ben, who...
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I thought the writer went overboard in showing him to be such a sad sack. This is for a few appearances. He's at the bar... Polly saying saying or Kitty I think is saying oh it's that depressed guy again he's here all the right. time he is bad for business <laughs> because he's so depressive you know they basically shove him into a sort of flirtatious encounter Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you know girl asks him you want to have lunch tomorrow well you probably wouldn't want to have lunch with someone like me he shows up the next day <laughs> she's not there because she probably would not want to have lunch with someone like me yeah, it's like
3: midship in <laughs> yeah something yeah. like
2: that but even with that very tenuous connection, I get the feeling that even if there hadn't been much chemistry there, he still has a much more normal, basic human connection with people he's met and doesn't want to die, but the yeah, Doctor does. I could see that. That he has a, a normal empathy. There's yeah. nothing else.
1: Yeah, there's a lot going on.
0: There's <laughs> there, And there's a hell of a lot going on, just with Dodo cannot have been away that long, because this is something that I was looking at, it's something that really bothered me, I'll have to admit. Because she keeps going on about how different London is. She hasn't been gone that long.
2: I thought that kind of worked, though, for early 60s to late 60s. I, I thought the writer just playing with how radically and quickly the, the change had accelerated especially with construction in that time period maybe thinking about like you know, his own life at that time and, and how the, London had changed
0: and I'd agree with that especially since they're using the uh, post office tower which I think is now called the BT Tower the British Telecommunications mm-hmm. Tower, it's still there, mm-hmm. it's just not used um, and it is still an impressive mm-hmm. structure, it's kind of like Tokyo Tower or like the uh, um, yeah. uh, Eiffel Tower it's got the same sort of cultural resonance to some degree. But I think that that would work, and it would work except for the fact that is it possible for London to have changed that much between, and I'm trying to remember the air dates of these again, uh, between, I just had it in the Fast Facts, this aired in June of 1966. She was introduced... Oh, okay,
2: that's earlier than I would have thought.
0: Yeah. She was introduced, if I remember correctly, in February okay. of 1966. So she, she was
2: like, she left 1963 and came back in 68. That would make more but sense. But she couldn't
0: have, okay. given the way she was talking and the way she was dressed when she came into the TARDIS. She's meant to be contemporary London. And that weird outfit that she had in the celestial Toymaker, maker, she seems like a mod chick.
2: Yeah, and then here she's it. pearl, you know, pearl clutching at the shortness of the skirts, like she's from a previous generation. Yes. What are the young ladies wearing these days? Oh my thinking, God! Like, in, it has the fashions haven't changed that much. You have no last idea day. how bad it
0: is because let me show you what she's wearing. But you would think story.
2: it would be like the difference between like nineteen fifteen and nineteen twenty five or something. She's so surprised. Yes. Yeah,
0: and it's. Why like she's a walking anachronism, sorry. She kind of <laughs> is, and it's really weird because obviously when we get Rose, she's going to leave for two years and nothing's going to be made of it.
2: It kind of made, would have made more sense with Barbara since Barbara is supposed to be in her 30s and an adult, and that's not what people were wearing when she was a teenager. But that's what she's wearing. If she going to a funeral?
0: Exactly. It's kind yeah. of like this kind of dowdy thing. She went to a club called the Inferno and something like that. All I thought
2: she's the missing the is a club, which great.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, All she's missing is a pillbox hat, like.
0: Yeah. Whereas, whereas you look at somebody like Polly in the same scene. There they are. They're in mm-hmm. the same scene together.
2: Hmm. Much more ma, Which yeah. which makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's changed a lot. Yeah, and... Polly's
0: the blonde. She's adorable. Yeah. But
2: Absolutely adorable. Culturally time moves faster when you're a teenager. Like the fashions change over faster, the yes. et cetera. Yeah. Than and
0: older. that was something I wish I he really kinda captured it. It's just when we think about our reading these in order, knowing how long we've had Dodo. Mm-hmm. It just smacks to something strange.
2: It seems a little bit more like she's a an insert for an older person.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Maybe
2: more, I don't know, author insert or...
0: Which, again, gets back to that whole thing of, you know, Dota's never had a character. No. And she's whatever the author needs her to be. In fact, her character here is different than her character in Savages. And it's written by the same damn author. <laughs> it's like, okay then.
2: I don't remember her having a character in The Savages. She doesn't. Here so, she no. at least has one. Even,
0: yeah. when she, I, one could argue that once she gets possessed by Wotan, it's the best thing that ever happened to her character. Yeah. Because she actually has one.
2: I mean, my dad used to say of a boss of his in the 80s, he treats everyone equally and just the same, like shit. <laughs> and I will say that this is a, a parody we've had with Stephen and Vicki, with certain writers, and Stephen and Dodo. They you know, they write them with gender parody exactly the same, mm-hmm. just flat as a piece of paper. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> neither one of them come out looking great. <laughs>
0: And I, I think I find that a shame, given how good the prose is mm. this time.
2: But it's better characterization for the new companions. I understand yeah. I'm not pouring everything into Dodo. He's the yeah, right the character out, and you know he's writing this book. You know, it's in 1988. Yeah, yeah. You
0: know, it, two years after he wrote the series, yeah.
2: he's not exactly going to develop the character for future use. But no. then again, I mean, it's nicer to not think like an IP farm. What character can be lucrative <laughs> to me in the future? But more. <laughs> What can do with the character in this book? Yeah.
3: Okay. Right. Right. The, the beat that
2: I did like is at the end, it seems like she is kind of telling the doctor, you know, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Mm-hmm. You do the feeling she kind of like got off or got away with it and has had yeah. her fill of this in a way that's kind of nice.
0: Yeah. Well, if you read between a bit the of a lines, slant, if you will. Yeah. Which you kind of have to do with Dodo and every appearance she ever has.
2: But there there should be some lines eventually. You think so? Like, not just between the lines. There should be actual text, not just subtext. Well, there's
0: a short story that was published in one of the short story collections by, I believe it's Big Finish, either that or Virgin Books. And it specifically addresses Dodo's actual first trip in the TARDIS, which isn't the Ark. It turns out she and Stephen and the Doctor go off to New York. Okay. And you get a little bit more into her head, and you realize, oh, she's a teenager who's trying on different personas Hmm. to see which one fits her best. Mm, That works. And that makes sense, because it's the only thing that does make sense. Otherwise, she's a mess. Yeah, terribly inconsistent. Mm -hmm. What do you
2: think of the actual themes it seems so relevant even this past week about machines taking oh, over society and artificial intelligence my etc. god
0: yes please tell us how you're mm, no no i have to be first <laughs> no 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 no, no. I, I want you two to do it <laughs> all i could think about
1: um i read a il- really interesting article uh, a couple weeks ago that was talking about how corporations are one of the oldest ais ever Hmm. because they have a set so. of rules okay. and as long as you follow those rules then hmm. you have profit then you know you follow th- the system hmm. and it keeps running on its own right hmm. within corporations people are expendable yeah. you are just a person filling a hole doing a job that we need you to do yeah. oh, Wow. so that was something right. that I was thinking of um it also was making me think of slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, people basically, you're expendable. You are a means to an end. We have yes. a thing we need you to do. Yeah. And if you die, well, who cares? Yeah. Exactly. Um,
2: it's not malice. It's just no. it's just emotion. the way things are. Yeah.
3: yeah.
1: yeah. That's just the
0: way the system works.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, which, uh,
0: yeah. Yeah, and Botan, in some ways, <laughs> is even worse than the slave owners. Because the slave owners at least had maybe the lurking sense that they were using human beings as chattel. Whereas here, Votan's like, oh no, humanity, you had your chance. I'm right. running the world now. Right. You're my automatons. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to use you as I will. Period. You mm-hmm. don't even have names. I'm going to name my damn machines things like Valk, Valk <laughs> which is Dutch for fal- falcon, believe it right, or not. Right, his 12 disciples. Yeah,
2: Ex- yes, When to think of it. Yeah. There you go. Going back to what Dalton said about corporations. Apparently, also, if you psychologically profile the behavior of a corporation in the same way that you psychologically profile the behavior of a human being... Mm -hmm. A corporation almost always, uh, of course, mix up, mix up these words, as many people do, it almost always behaves as a, 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 a sociopath or a psychopath. But yes. One of the things you don't want to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. so, yeah, Which, in my mind, actually, from a legal point of view, is, is really easy to deal with. You just you know, legislate accordingly because, mm-hmm. you know corporation doesn't have in a religious sense a soul it doesn't as a citizen have a right to vote etc like it's really easy to deal with the concept of a corporation behaves in this way you just anticipate it you see it coming true yeah um but it seems like in the the sort of lore of this you know during i'm starting this am thinking more in the 50s and later mm-hmm. of artificial intelligence the two basic usual fears are that out of utopian is um without a good sense of context a machine will try to save the world or save humanity or ap- or behave in an absolutely moral way and will wipe out humanity in pursuit of that utopian goal right isn't it an early version of the sims where you can solve the traffic problems by killing everybody in the yes (laughs) i was just thinking but it's not meant to be malevolent it's meant to be us make this city work properly no more traffic yeah it's much more efficient that way and then the other model is that the artificial intelligence has some kind of desires like it has ambition or it's disgusted by humanity, or it wants power, more the Skynet concept. Yeah. yeah. And so it's malevolent. It's either benevolent but has no <laughs> context, or malevolent and doesn't care about context. Yes. But-
0: interesting you should bring up Skynet because people have basically said this is Doctor Who during, doing the Terminator. Not Before really the Terminator. No. <laughs> yes, because Kip peddler, their scientific advisor, was particularly interested in how technology could turn on humanity if we put it on this high pedestal and said, okay, uh, Father Machine, do this for us, and we shouldn't be surprised when it does turn on us.
2: But what, where I think it always breaks down is... Well, not always breaks down, but it, it makes sense in the context of programming the artificial intelligence with goals or values. But we don't see that happen here. It seems like the ambition to dominate, and it's always clear to me if it's malevolent or benevolent. seems mostly benevolent, Mm -hmm. but it it kind of goes back and forth. But there's not like a basic motivation that was programmed in that went wild here. Right. We don't see the professor or anyone else programming something that could go awry. like it's a a global
0: motivation the the stated aim of OTAN is to take over some of the duties that humans themselves are too inefficient to do and to take care of some of the things that humans are incapable of doing such as diagnosing a problem with a a plane Mm -hmm. as it's in flight these are all things that the internet can do now Yeah. yeah
1: whenever I first started reading this I thought it was going the way of Google I thought it was that I mean, even though it's called the War Machines, I thought I was thinking about the internet. I was thinking about which yeah. in 1988
2: is still pretty primitive for a person who's not using it for like military or university purposes as a writer, which we Yeah, on.
1: or even '66 when it aired. Um, the idea of information being as widespread as it is now is mm-hmm. like it's kind of scary how like spot on it is in a way. It's like whoa, what? Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's it's it's. It's kind of interesting how it did turn like like you said it's not it's not necessarily evil it just has goals that it's trying to perform and, and to achieve and you know whatever happens happens you know.
2: I was thinking about an article I read in December. And so I went over to the artificial intelligence of Google search. Which I know is not formal (laughs) AI, but does have certain adoptive capabilities. Yeah. And let's see here. What did I type in here? Something like... Harvest strawberries. Destroy Earth. Silicon Valley. And it worked. It was the second hit that I got oh, wow. was the article I remembered reading in BuzzFeed <laughs> on BuzzFeed in December. Okay. So the uh, relevant quote was uh, Elon Musk talking about how artificial intelligence is going to destroy us all. Yes. Musk gave an example of an artificial intelligence that's given the task of picking strawberries. It seems harmless enough, but as the AI redesigns itself to be more effective, it might decide that the best way to maximize its output would be to destroy civilization and convert the and convert the entire surface of the earth into strawberry fields thus in pursuit of a seeming pursuit of a seemingly innocuous goal an ai could bring about the extinction of humanity purely as an unintended side effect yep but pausing here it's still been programmed harvest strawberries like it didn't come up with the idea that strawberries were the 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 chief end of of earth you know, to glorify strawberries. It just goes that forever. that
0: is the goal right. and that is what it needs to achieve. But, but here's
2: what I thought was the brilliant part of this particular piece. This scenario sounds absurd to most people, yet, they are a surprising number of technologies. Uh, Yet there are a surprising number of technologists who think it illustrates a real danger. Why? Mm -hmm. Perhaps it's because they're already accustomed to entities that operate that way, Silicon Valley tech companies. (laughs) Consider who pursues their goals with monomaniacal focus, oblivious to the possibility of negative consequences. Who adopts a scorched-earth approach to increasing market share? This hypothetical strawberry-picking AI does what every tech startup wishes it could do, grow at an exponential rate and destroy its competitors until it's an absolute monopoly. Mm -hmm. So going back to what you're talking about with a corporation, Mm -hmm. it's not a a benevolent motive that's being described here Mm -hmm. of saving humanity or making the earth work better. It's not a malevolent motive of the machine's own desires to dominate or control or or something Mm -hmm. like that. It's programmed in to make money.
3: Yeah. And
2: that's what we have here and that's where I thought the story was really strong when it describes the factory scenes of the human drones. Oh yeah. But fell down in its description of how a machine reached these conclusions. And of course at the end the the, the you know the fix is, you know, EMPs and shoot it with a shotgun, which is not something that we can <laughs> do in our own time right now. But I mean this is all British colonialism work versus say Spanish colonialism. You know, Spain okay. sent society. You know, send priests, send entire families, send no. the military, send mini Spain, set up a colony. Britain grants patents, yes. sends companies with private security, basically. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the East India Company, the Hudson Bay Company, you know. Henry VIII basically bankrupts the treasury and Elizabeth I brings it back by granting these rights to go to the new world and make money Mm. and come back and buy a title as a gentleman, etc. And it's really, really effective, but it seems more a moral neutral than national advancement, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. So I I, I, I like the the mechanism that's described Mm -hmm. of how the machine wants to take over, but the motivations aren't the actual malevolent things that we encounter in current technology it well, yeah. feels like but but like
1: but even like like you were saying like the, the spanish colonialism is more about social aspects mm-hmm. religion yeah.
2: yeah oh yeah
1: christianity catholicism mm-hmm. is right Become one of us. Yes. Assimilate into our way yes. of thinking because it is the best way to do the thing. It will save you, yes. your soul at the end of the day. Right. When your life is over, you will go to heaven because you did the thing that you needed to do to get there. It's supposed
2: to bring back dried fish and tobacco, right. which is. Well, I don't know we're greatly oversimplifying but here, but come it's to it's a think of it,
0: approach. what 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 religion is more important to somebody in our century but capitalism? Well, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of still
1: that. I mean, it's it's the whole moral issue that is happening in our country with uh, evangelicals currently. Right. They they speak some of the craziest talk you'll ever hear, but they cling to their Bibles, and it's you. Well, for those
2: of us who grew up in that white evangelical context, it's a continual shock to the system because it's what we were brought up to absolutely morally reject. It's <laughs> yes. mammon, it's corruption, it's greed, yeah. it's bad character, it's yeah. living for the wrong yeah. things. Yeah. And it's it I actually never get over the shock of hearing these kinds of things promoted now as Christian and virtuous. Exactly. Because this is exa- this is not at all what I was taught that Christianity was. But
1: to to hear Evangelicals speak and to actually listen to their arguments for their way of thinking, if you were in that headspace, it makes sense.
0: Yeah. And I'm wondering if that's what Votan is doing in the story too. He's reshaping the uh, human psyche just enough to accept that as its base pattern. Yeah.
2: How do you think, so we, we have two different ways it seems like that people come under the influence of is it I thought it was Wotan. Is it Wotan? It's
0: it's pronounced with the V on okay. the screen, which would Votan. make sense because it's Norse mythology. So. So,
2: oh, duh! I totally missed that. Okay. Yeah, it's a knock on the skull. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Um, so well, we missed Janice last one last time as well. Oh right, with the right. two-faced one. Yeah. Uh, well, well anyway. here
0: it's it, it's described with that ridiculously pained acronym, which never appears on screen. Yeah. right. So I'm glad they yeah. he only says it once. But yeah.
2: So later on we up? have kind of the same scenario that's used in the post-apocalyptic episodes of Dollhouse where you answer yes. the phone oh. and you get the electrical signal that brainwashes you. You're right. yeah. But the, the first several people it happens to, Professor Brett and Dodo and, and uh, someone else, uh, they talk about you, uh, yeah being in the presence of Votan, hearing the buzzing, feeling the, same, the strange sensation, not understanding what's going on. Yes. What do you think the means of the transmission is there? Because it doesn't affect everyone who's in its that's in its presence. Just you know, know. It it's be- the type.
1: beam, it's the light too, that kind of hypnotizes the
0: Partially. Partially it could be that, but also there's some sort of there's gotta be some sort of sonic quality. It <clears throat> For a story that doesn't have much in the way of incidental music, this is one of the noisiest Hartle stories. <laughs> because the, the sound of the war machine is, uh, I'm sorry, the w- sound of Votan and the war machines is constant and persistent throughout the story. I
2: think he gives a good description of this as well. Oh, and yeah. like, makes the analogy of that with the pulsating music and the Inferno Club as well yes. in a way that's really lovely.
0: Exactly. And so it sounds like it's something both light and sonic because you notice that the people that are influenced by it the most are the ones who are directly in the room with the computer. Yeah. Dodo seems to start slipping under its influence when she's there the first time. The doctor can sense it from the street when he looks up at the
2: the power.
0: Yeah. The post office tower he says i feel have this yeah. feeling of immense evil about but, it."
2: like he's the first who feels it but he's the one who's immune to it yeah he feels it the most but then he feels it the least
0: mm-hmm. well alien hmm. it yeah. makes some yeah. sense that he'd be able to do that and it also explains why he kind of goes out of his way to and this is something i love about this book and we have to get back to talking about the ian chesterton letter that he um uh. He does because yeah I was wanting Ian to show up too I really was but but that doesn't happen on screen somehow the doctor just enters the this society, society of you, know, you sir know sir whatever his name is and, and manages to get dead, introduced to Dr. Brett and doesn't, doesn't have to say who he is, is. He, just he just says oh says and they know who he is and it, it, it might, might be, be from, from a, f- a un- 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 untelevised adventure though I doubt that but the book gives it the explanation that's not there on screen. Even though that explanation is weird by itself, because how long has Ian been back to Earth? He's only been back to Earth for a year. Hmm. I mean, that's a harshly... Before that, he
2: was just a high school science teacher. Yes, that's a
0: harshly meteoric uh, career. Unless... He's still trying
2: to get his paper presented at a conference. right. Yes. I mean, that's basically Ian hitting the ground running,
0: which is great for Ian, but...
2: God... <laughs> it's just, just bizarre
0: the, a little bit I uh, you think uh, say, well, it's a nice idea
2: it's just one opportunity to tuck it into a story yeah and it's the only person that he
0: could have done that with at this point because it's so early on in the doctor's history I mean later there could have been any number of people he could have forged a letter from but here it's got to be Ian or no one else yeah and I have to ask, how ask this how is it that Votan knows what the word TARDIS,
2: Tardis means that, that- Annoyed me. Did it? What's that that shitty Jim Carrey movie everybody likes? That's a really broad... That's a question with many answers, isn't it? Bob Almighty...
0: um, Liar, liar. Liar, liar.
2: He's compelled to tell the truth. He tells three different kinds of truths. Number one, he tells the truth when he ordinarily would lie. Mm -hmm. Number two, he tells the truth and he ordinarily wouldn't speak at all, right. wouldn't volunteer information. And number three, he tells truths that he didn't actually know until he was compelled to say them aloud. Mm-hmm. Which, I guess it's not horrible, but it just annoyed me. So, there's, a, there's an ad running on TV uh, for a game show for smartest, most intelligent kids on Earth. A kid's looking at a map of Africa and is asked what country is missing, and she identifies it correctly. But that doesn't necessarily mean a reasoning ability, that's, you know, rote memorization. So this was something that I, I guess it could be, it could make of a decent fan theory. We have some of the fan theory that this is an example of intelligence instead of just knowledge that it, the machine otherwise would not have had. Oh, it could have
0: I mean, if we think about the fact that Votan... I keep keep going back back to the internet internet
2: thing. It's way too easy to defeat if it has that scope of knowledge. True. To just be knocked out with an EMP and a shotgun.
0: True. And it could very well be like Big Thought from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that as soon as you turn it on, it's like that old Isaac Asimov story where the very first question they ask the supercomputer that they um, have created is, is there a god? And the answer is, there is now.
3: And it's the most chilling thing
0: i'm wondering if it's more than that unless votan has gone back through all the doctors travels throughout history and has found all the references to the TARDIS and has figured it out from that or we've got this handy yeah, thing about ian trusterton maybe having written something that has tardis in it and explains it i don't
2: know yeah i Yeah,
1: i i saw, I saw it and i was like, like mm, that's weird. weird but i didn't mm-hmm. i didn't really think about it too much i was just like whatever i think it's, it's t- a supercomputer it's whatever yeah,
0: but i think it's because the television ser- uh, the television serial treats it almost like a supernatural being it has yeah. this it has this information um oh what is the latin phrase for that out of itself ex ex deo ex I don't know. I didn't take Pedanther, please tell me because I can't remember. <laughs> I'm sure he will. But yeah, so it's one Is of those. Is this
2: Pedanther you speak of? God, perhaps? <laughs>
0: It is now. I'm not familiar, <laughs> no. I'm not
2: familiar with the pedanther entity, but you speak of it with great By the way, he came to your defense
0: uh, over the last episode and said, well, why are you getting all pissed off about Tuesday when they're using other words like any, anyway and mm. um, morning? And I said, because there's nothing particularly Terran about morning. All planets have a morning. All, all Lots of planets have a north, but only Earth has Tuesdays.
2: Mm.
0: But yeah. Oh, I'm <laughs> anyway. Thank you for
2: punctuating your <laughs> remarks. I try. Uh, speaking of which, though, to briefly go off the mark, that lovely opening paragraph, would you like to read it aloud to us? You have a more, the most sonorous voice. Well, well, if you
0: have it in front of you, I will, because unfortunately, I don't have my PDF with All right. me. For once. All right.
2: I apologize for the squawkiest voice reading this one aloud. Of course, he knew that in one sense, time was a fiction, an attempt by man to measure duration with reference to the sun and stars. But he also knew that although such measurements were based on an impressive formula, all man's concepts were fraught with error. Time was not as it was supposed to be, for here they were, he and his single crew member Dodo, traveling fortuitously across space, splitting time into fragments, or more exactly ignoring the passage of time, the rising and setting of the sun, the ebb and flow of tides, the coming and going of the galaxy in which they were. Isn't that beautiful? Which was beautiful, and yet he talks about time as an essentially human concept, which seemed a little odd as well for someone who's not human and has visited many other species. And who travels through it.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. But time still exists.
2: Yeah. But he talks about in an extremely human-centric way of the sun and the tides and this planet and... Humanity. And there you know, is this, that.
0: And actually, Danny also said, Well, now you, I'm
2: being the one being pedantic. Well, but no, no, no. Um, but it's kind of like Tuesdays. It is pretty specific to us because yeah. really the human audience is the main audience for mm-hmm. this book series. True. <laughs> you don't know, get a lot of intergalactic well, distribution. Danny, <laughs> so, when I told
0: him about Andrew to us, Uh, Danny when I originally told him about that thought it was the doctor talking he was like oh so the doctor's been so contaminated by humanity they now think the terms of Tuesdays that would be lovely (laughs) (laughs) he does say okay in this book though remember this is the same Mm -hmm. doctor who gave Dodo the hairy eyeball when she used (laughs) okay back in the arc and now he's saying it and it's like oh okay he is being contaminated by his (laughs) companions that's lovely (laughs) <laughs> oh, dear Lord.
2: So what do you think about the warehouses full of... I'm hypnotized, and with not the right word, but I'll use the term hypnotized humans who are building the war machines.
0: It is absolutely chilling. And those are the most chilling scenes in the original because, one, they're done on film because, of course, they're on location. Or they're in a film studio because they have these big-ass war machines lurking about. Two, they're absolutely chilling because the humans just don't react at all. And in mm-hmm. fact, when... Um, what's his name? I keep forgetting the name of the, the, um, the guy who actually created the war machine. Uh, the one who doesn't pass out, even though everybody else passes out from exhaustion. Somehow, he just keeps going and going and going like an Energizer bunny.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: He... When he kills the first guy at the warehouse, has this kind of smile on his face like, oh, that went well. Okay, let's get back to work. Obviously, it can kill now. And you're thinking, Jesus, God. It's absolutely chilling. The the, the death of the tramp is done the same way.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Totally just, That was an incredible yeah. sequence.
0: Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. In fact, can you find that? Because the prose there...
2: I don't think I have copied down here where that is going to be chapter. he dies i have where um he, he's watching where he's looking at the warehouse and observing how it works
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, let's see oh that bit about the everyone's hands turning translucent when they're taken over by votan they were originally going to do that on screen but mm-hmm. they couldn't do get the effect basically so they decided oh we'll just put them in gloves yeah
1: that that kind of made me think of you know when someone gets shocked in a cartoon yes and it's it's that electricity
0: it's, because it's, it does sound like electrical it sounds like something like that um, the
1: the way that the people have kind of been taken over reminded me a lot of like um zombie films in a way yes they're yeah. they're they have
2: but not motor- with that sort of bestial physicality no. appetite Just the opposite no appetite for anything but work
1: but it's still this very calm uh, mentality and it's very focused. Yes. They, they have a goal they are trying to achieve mm-hmm. and they will do whatever they need to do to make it happen. In a machine-like thing. In a machine-like way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and just, yeah, like the descriptions of them, you know, when, when they kill the Tramp, um, just how they kind of corral yeah. him.
2: Yeah, they talk about it happening off screen. He vanishes from view, so at first you're actually not sure if they're hypnotizing him as well or if he's being killed, and then later they talk about... Yeah. And on screen you hear
0: the scream, and then you see Professor Brett going, ah, okay, it's over now. Let's get back to work, everyone. That was a fun
1: little break. Yes. Just like we wanted.
0: Yeah, which is just terrifying. It certainly ties into all of those... um, Quatermass serials from the 1950s in which aliens or something is taking over humanity and taking away our very humanity, which is why my favorite scene is when Crimpton gets taken over, um, because he tries to fight it. Mm -hmm. And in chapter four, he's the one human character that makes an attempt to subvert his brainwashing. And it's a moment that's really moving on screen. It's actually still kind of creepy on the page, but it loses something in print. That's one of the best scenes. And it's ironic that somebody who's devoted his entire life to creating machinery is the very one that holds out the longest against it. Hmm. And then he ends up being the one that dies, even though uh, Brett doesn't at the end.
2: I think I found a passage yes, here. Please. Alright, um, sorry. So, Trent went back to the warehouse where he periodically sleeps. Okay, he's eat well, he's eaten well and he's drunk even better. Alright, so, and he finds that the, the number on the warehouse is actually painted over to obscure it. With his usual caution when taking up residence, he moved towards the door at the side of the building, passing a parked truck at the curbside. He had edged the door open before he heard anything. Then what was it? Faint noise like machinery? A distant humming? A sense of hushed, intense activity? He was incredulous and gently eased his way into the darkened corridor. The noise persisted. He was drawn towards it. The place had been empty the night before. What was happening? The welders wore protective masks as they they worked through a shower of sparks. Shadows danced on the walls around them. From time to time, a man would collapse under the strain of continuous activity, but another would take his place. They were all expendable. Mm-hmm. The ant heap around them never relaxed. The concentration was awesome, and from where he stood, just outside the, outside the inconspicuous door at the back of the storeroom, the tramp was indeed overcome with awe. He didn't know what to make of it. The transformation was so complete that he wondered whether he had come to a different place. Perhaps he'd drunk even more than he had thought. But no, he recognized the high rafters across the roof. He saw stacked against the wall the crates and boxes he had seen the night before. He even recognized the piles of sacking in a corner he had used to keep warm. This was his warehouse, all right, but what was this bizarre vision? This crackling of electronics, this hum of computers, dynamos, the shower of sparks in the corner, dancing shadows on the wall. It was a picture of hell, and he froze on the spot. There were a couple hundred devils at work here, but what were they doing? You want to continue through him biting the big one? (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> I, i've never had a woman i've never had a woman ask me that before <laughs> yes all right so he's looking around et cetera. people notice him the tremor went through the workforce the rhythm was shaken the moment passed and they were in full flow again security on duty called brett a number of men seemed to appear from nowhere to be aden- they looked to the tram to be identical the man called out again there is an intruder amongst us it was impossible for anyone to have seen him. The Tramp knew that, but he was sobered with fear. He wanted to turn and run, but he couldn't move. A small knot of men clustered around an instrument in the center of the room. One of them was taking measurements. He called out, the intruder is in the north sector. He is static at 270 degrees from the detector. A wave of adrenaline swept through the Tramp. They must be on to him. Not that he was doing any harm. Besides, he had more rights than any to be here. He had squatter's rights. He sticked the claim the day before. But now the blood was back in his veins and he was determined to run. He hurried back to the side door. Uncountably, it wouldn't budge. He sweated to pull it open, but something held it rigid. He knew there was a second door in the warehouse. It meant crossing the storeroom, but there was nothing else for it. He saw the little group of men advancing on him and made a dash for it. He got halfway across the room, but it was hopeless. He tried to control his voice, but it shook as he called out, Look, if you're the law, I'm clean. It stands a reason. I have to be. i just come out a couple of weeks ago. You've got nothing on me! The group <laughs> of men had stopped. They didn't appear to, appear to understand what he was telling them. If you ain't the law, it's all right by me. Live and let live, I say. I don't give a cuss what you're doing here. None of my business. I'll just move on. Find another place to doss. He gave a brave wave of the hand. Night all, he clawed. Cover the door, ordered Brett. The group fanned out in a half circle, moving slowly but relentlessly. The outcome was never in doubt. What kind of welcome is this? Pleaded the tramp. (laughs) When a bloke's just out of jug, they won't won't get a word out of me. He turned to Brett. I I promise you, Gov. He was panic-stricken. He tried to back off. He was up against the wall. What's this then? A ruddy madhouse? What's going on? What are you, anyhow? No one bothered to reply. Keep off. Get your hands off. Get back. Get away from me. This last was little more than a shriek. The knot of men surrounded him as he shook the handle of the door. He was out of vision as far as the central computer was concerned. The eyeline was obscured, but the noise abruptly diminished. The wail of the alarm stopped dead. The baleful revolving lights faded and a soft glow filled the room. The group dispersed. It was as though nothing had happened. Everyone went studiously back to work. Repeat, said Brett. I re- repeat. Prototype to be completed by dawn. Oof yeah Good. So, larger selection paths we're going for but um no that's yeah, exactly uh, what i want yeah about. but it's chilling but it's, they go back to is. the imagery they used of the disco earlier and yes. in the, in the pulsating activity but it's rhythmic and it's confused it's described it actually sounds very youthful and exciting and fun yeah. but ben's depressed in the middle of it yes. like sitting at the end of the bar not participating dodo dances that she talks about he's not really having a good time he's yeah, just going through the motions a dress. yeah and then <laughs> you yeah, got to think about it because out of fashion <laughs> and then it prefigures later at least ben will be here
0: right and in fact ben is the only character that has any sort of reflections on how scientific progress is coming at the at vast cost yes
2: all right, so a little weird reverse hierarchy theory about this. Yeah, the person who gets this the least is Sir Charles. Right. The person who seems to, and other than the doctor, of, of the, so of the non-human, I mean, of, of the non-doctor people, mm. he's the person who has been subjected to like factory kind of working conditions the least in his life. Right. Polly and Dodo and um, Sir Charles's secretary—I don't think it's directly named—are regarded. By certain of the scientists in Sir Charles is basically interchangeable. Yes, their secretaries, their girls. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, you know they'll do typing and this sort of work. And in the the first uh, scene where we see Votan, there's an, first of all a, a masculine human description of the shape of the computer. Mm-hmm. But then um, Professor Brett says, well, he's even better than Polly and that saying something. Better typist, and she's really good, but he's better. Never makes a mistake. Right. And she's like, oh, yes, he's much better at filing and this sort of thing. <laughs> so it is then Votan that makes... So they, they see the computer as on one hand extraordinarily intelligent, on the other hand, as uh, doing tasks that any number of interchangeable office workers, in their mind, they're interchangeable, right. could do. Oh just better and more efficiently. Right. And that's what Votan turns the scientists into. Yes. And the person who sees it first is the sailor, who, of all the people described in this story, has been most thoroughly subjected to circumstances where he is trained to act and dress and perform just like thousands yes. of other sailors. Yeah. And he gets it right away. Wow! And when he tries to talk to the other people in the factory... He expects a certain sort of wry humor of people in that situation where, like, they appear to be going through the motions, but, like, really they're not taking it that seriously. "Eh, It's a gig. Do what you got to do. And he is completely freaked out and confused when he tries to joke with Polly. And she is absolutely down with the machine's agenda. And he knows that that is not normal Mm -hmm. for a person in that sort of an interchangeable worker job. Exactly
0: and this is why you listen to the podcast
2: folks (laughs) for the two bottles of sangria for only three people.
0: (laughs) but yeah i think that is an awesome observation that the person who is most used to a regimented society but also in some ways is the one who is least affected
2: by technology Mm -hmm. advanced technology
0: is the one who sees the dangers
2: of it but you'd think i mean Military basic training is a socialization program, and it's not a secret. It's not like joining a cult or something. You know no. what you're getting into. Exactly. You know you're going to be re-socialized. You know it's a yeah. reasonably scientific process. You sign up for it, you get paid for it. Right. He's the one who should, you would think, be most vulnerable to it, yeah. and he, next to the doctor, is the least vulnerable to it. Yeah. He doesn't get the phone call. <laughs> But no. he also, he's exposed to Wotan, I think, and he's not hypnotized not by all. the lights and sounds no. at all the way that others no. are.
0: No, uh, he's exposed to a war machine. I don't think the yeah. war machines themselves
2: yeah. have that. Have yeah, So he may not really... give the direct stimulus. Yeah, but...
0: I think that may be it. A... Speaking of soldiers, some of the most chilling parts of this book, for me, are the battle sequences. It's almost as if Ian Stewart Black says, we really need to give this a hard-hitting thing because on screen, those battle sequences are actual guns and explosions. Mm. It's basically, and I didn't want to say this, it's a preview of what Doctor Who is going to become in the mm. 1970s. Mm. We're going to get a lot of that with the unit and the third Doctor and Earth-based stories. This is basically more, yeah, more action-oriented. Exactly. This is, going, this is the first draft of what's to come. But then you get things like he was the first to fire his automatic spring uh, across the metallic body. He might as well have tossed paper bags at it. It was a huge soulless cat cornering a handful of mice. Mm. And my favorite sequence in Chapter 9, I had to go back to uh, War of the Worlds and look. He he seems like he's deliberately um, paraphrasing H.G. Wells here. The machine was carefully circling its arms in a wide sweep. There was no gunfire, only a dull explosion, the impact of something soft. A stream of light played over the watching troops. Someone screamed. Part of the crowd collapsed like a row of cards. It's like, Jesus, God.
3: Hmm.
0: Wow. That's that's bloody without being bloody yeah. and I'm always impressed when an author can do that and yeah. make you feel this this feeling of holy shit people yeah. are dying in yeah. front of me in yeah. rapid succession it's
2: something I thought the Wonder Woman movie did really well for a movie yes. that's PG-13 but they know what kids are going to watch it when the village is gas, communicating that horror through the reaction of the characters without it being very explicit at all yeah. but it, it definitely communicates the weight of it exactly
1: but it also it, it kind of it makes you realize just how powerful these things are. They are effortlessly just knocking, knocking everyone out of their <laughs> yeah. way, yeah. rolling over people, and without a scratch. Yeah, they are. It literally is a war machine. It's just like, well, I'm just gonna do this, and you guys can't stop me. Yeah. shoot at me, and I'll adapt to it. Throw grenades at me, and I'll keep them from working. It, it's, it's menacing. It's just like, how can we yeah. do anything? No matter what.
0: until error creeps in and in fact that's the main thing because it's not necessarily anything the doctor does it's that one machine comes online a little early and goes a little berserk and that's what saves us all it's not anything the doctor does
1: no but the doctor does state that the thing that we have on our side is the unknown and the the things that you cannot account for Mm -hmm. you know Computers all the time have things go wrong. That's true. And so that and and he seems to understand that, whereas Votan doesn't. Votan thinks that, you know, he has a constriction and rules, and as long as you know I'm following the rules, everything will be fine.
0: Yeah, and things will be better as soon as I get rid of these damn humans. Yeah, and he
1: and he doesn't even it doesn't even occur that something could go wrong yeah. until
0: it does. Right. And even then he thinks of it as a simple aberration, right, and something that he, he can fix, right. yeah, which is insane.
2: I don't really subscribe to the horseshoe political theory that far left and far right basically this turn into basically the same thing, like I understand they're going to you know, people are going towards well, you know. Fast, for, for fascist reasons or communist reasons when you line people up and kill them it's really bad I didn't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. but like <laughs> no the actual political reasons for why those things happen are quite different etc but yeah. it actually seems completely on point this horseshoe theory when it comes to conditions for people who are in interchangeable jobs like military or factory work right. or, or something like that so. Going back to Stephen I mean sorry to Ben trying to chat with Polly when he is figuring out something's terribly wrong with this warehouse. Oh yeah. Basically, uh, Ben comes to find that Polly is taking a gig at an Amazon warehouse in games. <laughs> so <laughs> Um she's a lack of air conditioning. <laughs> the work must now the work must now be completed by tomorrow noon, said Polly. There is no time to speak. He looked at her sharply. Why noon? Then the then the attack begins attack the city will be taken over by the machines oh that he pretended he knew (laughs) and you're looking forward to it of course he nodded his agreement on with a job he said and cautiously looked around (laughs) like this is when he figure out this is not how people working in a factory who really need the gig talk privately amongst themselves exactly so I'm talking about Amazon. This is uh, an article that came out a, a few months ago entitled Worse than Walmart. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and so it's talking here about uh, so an Amazon factory in Germany, which has a much more formal sort of labor uh, setup and a system between works councils and you know labor organizations and management that's not necessarily adversarial. It's so long settled. Right, but it's right. just, you know, how life is. Mm-hmm. All right, so in December 2012, uh, the Verdi, the German labor organization, representatives in Leipzig called on the management of Amazon's local center to open negotiations on wage rates and an improvement of working conditions. And especially for temporary workers who are badly exploited at Amazon, management refused on the grounds that employees should be, quote, thinking about their customers and not about their own selfish interests. Oh, in for Christ's <laughs> So there's a literal book and whole, you know, website and program um, Amazon proffers called The Cult of the Customer. Oh, wow. But you assume that it's humorous to refer to it as the cult of the customer. You know, it's just a corporate speak, but everyone understands what it means. This is our priority. We think in this way about what will make the, cult of the, the customer happy. I remember reading this and thinking... Wait, they actually expect people to adhere to that mm-hmm. in sort of a religious way? Yeah. They should be thinking about their customers and not their own selfish interests? Oh my well, God. and <laughs> so,
1: the stupid thing yeah. is, are the people that work for these companies also not customers? Exactly. Well, I deal so with fair. that at work all the time. Yeah, sure. I will not say who I work for, but I deal with that all the time. So yeah. I
2: had a friend in college who grew up in 1980s Bulgaria. I'm having a conversation with her once where I said, well, it's like, what's it like to grow up in a society where, you know, it's not like, basically, it's irreligious and religion while some of it's tolerated, because, you know, it's, it was Bulgaria, yeah, not yeah. Moscow, you know, we're, it's officially discouraged. She's like, oh, no, it's a religion. And she just yeah. told, you are part of a country, yes. and you need to be thinking about it all the time, mm-hmm. and she described, you know, a pretty... A pretty intense form of this, well, you should be thinking about the country instead of your own selfish interests, but of course people aren't actually thinking that way. In an Amazon warehouse, people are not actually thinking about the customers all day long, and it would be psychologically absolutely bizarre to behave in that way. They were meant to. But what a weird default expectation.
3: Well, like, from a corporation
2: thing. But whether, yeah, yeah, from a corporation or a totalitarian government. So these opposite extremes mm-hmm. of a communist government mm-hmm. versus cutting edge, <laughs> attempted, at what is it? anarcho-capitalism, whatever bullshit Dark Enlightenment stuff is on Reddit (laughs) this week. Um, But even though they're extremely different in in sort of political and economic theory, this weird expectation that people wouldn't just nod and smile and (laughs) conform to that when they're in an interview with the boss would actually think that way. I think the story brings out how if people actually behave that way in their private conversations, you would be extremely worried about them. It would be... It would be a, a, a manifestation of mental illness or, or, or something, or brainwashing or something like that. Yeah, and sociopathic. Yet, right, and yet we've had, you know, we have entire companies and have had whole governments for which that's, of course, the default expectation and how it, 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 it's sick to expect something of everyone that you actually don't expect of anyone, but oh. yet you require it even though you don't really expect it. right. If you actually witness that in reality, it would freak you the hell out the way Ben is freaked out.
0: And I just thought of something. I have witnessed this because my uh, family got involved in the 80s with a company that I will bleep out the first syllable of. M-way. I was going
2: to say, is it the way? Yeah,
0: it's that one. <laughs> the truth
2: and the amazing detergent. Yes, and uh, yeah, yeah.
0: And my, my aunt on my uh, mother's side, one of my aunts, God rest her soul got so involved with her business that at one of the meetings that she held at her house, she said, I rank my life priorities as my business, my religion, and my family in that order. Hmm. And my... That is not health. No, my parents (laughs) were appalled. It is appropriate. Yeah, because (laughs) not only... she She was also you know... Fairly religious. I mean, I, I can't remember if she was she was either a holy roller or one of those very p- particularly oh. southern designations. But of people evangel-
2: do describe a way, similar MLMs like that that are very intense as high control groups. Yes. Even though they don't have theological content,
0: they they almost do. They
2: yeah, they they function so theologically in the same way that the cult does.
0: To the point that somewhere out there is a tape because they used to distribute tapes of training and all that. Somewhere out there is a tape of 10-year-old Tony Witt Mm. recording the greatness of this company and talking about how it's so great Mm. for parents to think about for their kids and it was played at one of their fucking conventions, apparently, one year. And, oh, my God, I'm just so embarrassed by all of this. But well, I'm glad you've you, turned. You yes, are, thank you. You are a minor. I was <laughs> a minor. Everyone understands. Yes, but is, isn't that somewhat just like what Votan is doing, except we are kind of allowing ourselves to be brainwashed <laughs> by the sort of corporatism. Oh.
1: Wow. Yeah. In some ways, we don't have choices. No. You, 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 we live in a capitalist society that is ever more turning towards corporations as a way of life mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. know companies do have their own philosophies and their ways of yeah. Yeah controlling people which,
0: well, in, in its own way is a form of slavery and i'm trying to pull us is. back to no it, it, totally February, is. But, you know, it totally is it's a newer form of it and a much more insidious <laughs> form because it doesn't seem to be hurting us except it must be
1: it, it is definitely psychically
0: it's damaging us it's damaging our souls if we have such things well
1: it's definitely demeaning whenever you yes. are forced to do something that you don't want to do because you have to survive you have to pay bills you need food you have to pay rent yeah. you have medical mm-hmm. yeah. you know
0: and i wonder about yeah. the people who end up being possessed by votan what mm-hmm. happens to them afterwards because we know dodo has to go off to the country mm-hmm. and basically says oh i don't want to go through this again Fuck this but then Polly says
2: oh i feel great never better
0: Polly is great yeah she's fine she springs right back Pro- professor brad that has apparently been awake for the equivalent of five days doesn't realize what he's done, doesn't realize the war machine in front of him is his own, the manufacturer of his own machine. Yeah. You have to wonder what the hell's gonna happen to him.
2: I didn't think it was clear how much Polly remembered, though. Yeah. She feels great, but she doesn't really talk about her experiences or missing time or anything yeah. that really gives I think clear her picture. connection
0: is broken by Ben somehow in a very particular way whereas... So
2: maybe the last thing she remembers is being at the club and then yeah. eh, some things are hazy and hey, eh,
0: yeah, this I experience. To go with this
2: guy? Yeah.
0: It's so. like oh, did you slip me a Mickey at the club? <laughs> Wait, that was five days ago. Oh, well, doesn't matter. <laughs> Let's get married. no. No, yeah. no, no. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs>
2: So going back to what you were saying, Dalton, about you know, we need to work. Um, we're in the middle of a you know multi-century economic change about what that means. Going from basically, you know, family-based work of farms and workshops and things like that to you know, sort of industrial revolution, service economy, etc. But there is a difference between performing well at jobs. I mean, at at, at job, treating people respectfully. Carrying the company along when you're dealing with customers, for sure. Oh, yeah. Like performing this thing you were hired to perform versus the extreme creepiness of a demand that people actually internalize that content.
1: Well, it's it's this idea, you know, companies more and more are focusing on metrics. It is yeah. it, it's these constraints, these mathematical equations of success
2: Um, (laughs) like cult of a customer being an actual cult (laughs) (laughs) not just you treat the customers well and that's your priority and you'll be supported by that in the company when you do whatever it takes to satisfy the customer but you should actually be thinking about the customer all the time the customer is now kind of freaked out and and
1: and and the idea (laughs) that that (laughs) any any kind of autonomy within that structure is frowned upon you know, if you, if you do not meet our metric in this area, no matter what you do, you are a bad employee. Right. Yeah. Um, whenever I used to cashier at the place of my employment, I went above and beyond to be helpful the whole time I was there. But the only thing that anyone cared about was me getting people to sign up for credit cards. Mm. Yes. I would stay late mm. regularly. I would help out... All over the store, no matter what they asked me to do, because I am a helpful person. All of that was looked over because I wasn't getting people to sign up for a credit card. That metric was all that mattered.
2: Even though what you were doing was actually building the brand by giving people this pleasant experience. Where they went in the the store, they were treated in a pleasant, respectful manner. The things that actually long-term build the company.
0: And we get that in academia, too, with student evaluations. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if we get evaluations that say, would you recommend this instructor to other students? Which used to be the mark Mm -hmm. for the school I used to work for Mm -hmm. in another state. Yeah. And what was insidious about that was if your students wouldn't recommend you to other students, then somehow there was the feeling that they wouldn't find you on their own. Or they wouldn't take you because you were, you know, basically the only section available. If
2: they needed a, you know, a Tuesday, Thursday. Yeah, yeah. which is what happens now. But that
0: metric always kind of terrified me a little bit to say uh, that has nothing to do with excellence. That has uh, to do with whether or not people like you, which is much harder to achieve.
2: Yes. And I don't do... For profit classes anymore, although I'm technically but still I was in the book. So I won't mention names, mm-hmm. but I didn't have to give grades. So that was actually a great uh, relief. But I do remember people who were much worse teachers in terms of the content that they provided and the education they provided, mm-hmm. sometimes being the people who were most valued because they gave the best emotional experience. Yeah but partly because they gave the impression that you've just seen something impressive with a lot of pizzazz. They hadn't actually effectively taught the students how to do it as well. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But the emotional impression is what earned the rating. And so you have this, you know, sort of struggle inside. You're saying, you know, if I do this... If I teach this this way, I know the person will ultimately learn better, and that will long-term be better for the brand. Someone will say, you know, I went to this class. I learned this thing. It benefited me. You should do this class. Yeah. But instead, I was incentivized to get that quick number Mm -hmm. after the last session based on the emotional impression, even though I knew that long-term, that quick number Mm -hmm. would probably be less likely to lead to a recommendation once the person actually exactly. needed to use their knowledge. And so you're actually long-term being encouraged to destroy the brand <laughs> by yeah. doing what's necessary for the quick buck or the yeah. quick rating instead of actually creating this positive experience. And they're not creating, they're not in the in the book that, that we've read here, they're not creating a customer service experience, no. but... I'm actually thinking more of this, of the recent Google upheavals with the infamous memo, et cetera. But apparently Google had a uh, slogan uh, up until recently, maybe still, bring your whole self to work. Yeah. And we see that they got a little more of some employees than they were planning on. <laughs> <But> <laughs> someone's comment on maybe maybe those annoying corporate things of, you know, eh, don't talk about sex and religion and, you know, gender and race and this kind of thing <clears throat> at the job and it's actually part of the job. Maybe those annoying things were actually what made your job bearable. Yes. <laughs> to get people from going at each other's throats exactly. and destroying one another. Right. To keep those things in your <laughs> private life and not have to deal with them all day mm-hmm. long.
1: Well, and ultimately
2: it humanizes you
1: yeah yeah
2: whenever whenever
1: you are seen as a cog in the machine
3: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. you know y- you don't talk about things like that, but whenever you are a human mm-hmm. who is performing a job yeah then then it, it's it's a little more open for conversation yeah you know? um, but yeah. when you're
2: forced to perform internally, not just customer service yes. but Perform these things internally on the job so that you can be theoretically rated and evaluated by who and what you really are. To perform mm-hmm. not just etiquette, but a false self on the job. That's significantly yes. more yes. humanizing than. Look, don't swear at people on the floor. <laughs> or things like that, you know, don't swear at your colleagues. Things that are formal etiquette but aren't supposed to be representations of your true self. They're rules, but yeah. everyone knows what they are. And this yeah. is something Versus the I'm, deeper evaluation of your core value.
0: This is something I'm always worried about as an educator because I, I, I mean, I'm not even humble bragging. I get pretty good student evaluations. They're pretty high oh, yeah. usually. Yeah. Yeah. However, I do find myself thinking, yeah, but I'm a performer. I, I make yeah. my kids laugh. I yeah. do a lot to make them enjoy the experience. And yeah. When they're bored, I notice my uh, my ratings go down, but that's usually when I'm giving them straightforward information that they need. So I always wonder how effective you monster. am I being. Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> how effective yeah. am I being as an educator? <sighs> what does this have to do with Moten?
2: The, the brainwashed... People who are manufacturing war machines. Yes. Which apparently I took a shine to. Yeah. Well. (laughs) I thought it was one of the more emotionally resonant parts of the book and Mm -hmm. then looking around realizing right away this is not normal, usual, this is not human behavior. No.
0: And the weird thing about this book is it's an alien invasion story, but it's not an alien Mm. invasion. It comes from here. Yeah. Which is something that Doctor Who rarely does, and when it does it, it doesn't always do it particularly well. I think mm. this one kind of does. I think yeah. it kind of manages that. What do we think
2: of the resolution? Hmm. I thought it was kind of EMPX machina.
0: But... It's much worse on screen.
2: Okay, I mean I don't think it was bad. It just. It's like, oh, and the then electromagnet, magnet CMP, shotgun, it's
0: dead. Well, so- it does give the Doctor one of his best moments ever on screen, I should say. The cliffhanger to episode three, I find is not particularly well shot, but the reprise for episode four, yeah. I, it's an amazing Hartnell moment because you have a war machine bearing down and you have these soldiers running. Past the doctor, and the doctor is just like this standing, hmm. and it's Hartnell at that most, like hawkish huh. hmm. And it's like, That's that's the doctor, that first and foremost is the first doctor, and it's described that way almost in the book, too. In fact, Sir Charles says something along the lines of. What's he doing standing there? Oh, my God, he's just standing there. And it's like, yeah, he's (laughs) Uh just standing there.
2: Charles, a Great Observer. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, St. Charles. But he's not
1: just standing there. He is calculating. He is formulating a plan in the way
0: that only Uh he can. Exactly. Not the greatest plan, obviously, because the resolution is kind of like, oh, all right, fine. I do find it interesting that Dodo calls him Doc twice and he doesn't slap her at this point. He's <laughs> cooking. <That's laughs> yeah.
1: he knew she's leaving.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, precisely. I do find it interesting some of the changes from the televised version, such as in Chapter 6, uh, I don't even know that this was scripted. Everyone thought this was a, a, a moment on Hartnell's uh, uh, part. But... Ian Stuart Black writes, The Doctor looked thoughtfully at Sir Charles. Now I wonder, do you suppose I mean if no, I don't suppose you would. It's odd to have that included in the book because most fans have always thought that was Hartnell for getting a line and then never actually getting to it. But it's in the book, so it must have been scripted. Maybe. It's just the weirdest thing.
1: But I could I could see that. It's it's yeah. he's formulating a thought and yeah. he's 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 like kind of thinking out loud, but also thinking internally, and it just
0: and it never comes gets anywhere, though. Yeah, no. But, <laughs> but the, we the have one to him included, <laughs> it's just kind of the weirdest thing. <laughs> and Sir Charles, God, talk about useless characters. <laughs> he's a bit of a necessary evil in the story because if we were in the Trouton era, the doctor's own authority would be enough to bring in the military.
2: I thought he was supposed to be amusingly stupid.
0: I guess, but he's not amusing enough. <sighs> But this is the very first time that you see, basically, this is one of the few times in Doctor Who that the Old Boys Network actually is useful. Hmm. Because the war machines have been put together really, really fast. In fact, there's explanation of why it's so fast here that we don't get on screen. But yeah, it's the, pretty much overnight, right? Yeah, and that, and you don't get that sense on screen. It just kind of, you're like, how did they get this war uh, warehouse so quickly? Why is this happening? But the old boys network works just as fast. As soon as mm-hmm. Sir, Sir Charles gets on the phone, it's like, oh yeah, military, we got him mm-hmm. And it is bizarre for all the good it does. But yeah, I always thought that was interesting. And get used to Ben calling Polly Duchess. It's going to happen a lot. Oh,
1: yes, uh, Duchess.
2: It's like uh <laughs> that um, I never actually saw. this. the oft-sighted uh, Legend of Zelda cartoon. Yes. What is it? Whatever, princess. Whatever, what, what's, princess. What's the key? It's not whatever, but excuse me, princess. Excuse me, princess. That's it. This is, like, yeah, is going to exactly. get old in a hurry. Yeah. Not
0: really. <laughs> not really. Besides, it's Ben and Polly.
2: So in the 60s and the 80s, I feel like the writer does anticipate pretty well, and not just a sentimental way, but a very pragmatic way, the uncanny valley of language. Really? Where he's got this line here, It appeared strange to Ben that this vast increase in scientific technology should depend on such a primitive activity of human labor. Hmm. These men and women staggering under heavy loads, like coolies a hundred years ago, I guess it was not a... Was it a slur in the 80s? Anyway. No. um, Were a little different than the slaves who built the pyramids. It was an example of the benefits of science he, for one, could do without. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm reminded of it. Apparently is a, you know, a whole job description of hundreds of people around the world who do content control for... Most prominently Facebook, some Twitter as well. Also where they base, Yeah, and where they basically get rid of like executions and hardcore pornography yes. and some of the most upsetting, violent material available on photo and video. And now
0: conspiracy theories. Yes. Like against the, um, but the so much students of, it, of that Florida. Some of it
2: can be automated, but so much of it still has to be done manually. But right. even what we've learned in the last week or so about the uh, foreign-assisted propaganda mm-hmm. <laughs> um, of the... Of uh, the of 2016, you know the, the memes themselves aren't actually generated by a computer. There has to be human intervention. There are human hands There means. was a, a really disturbing piece going around a few uh, weeks ago about mostly computer-generated videos for children designed to take care of the, the advantage of the YouTube yeah, yeah. Uh, algorithm yes. and take kids into this sort of weird black hole of more videos with this music, this imagery, and with Minnie Mouse having an yeah.
0: abortion. Right, but like with
2: this weird computer-generated computer nightmare mishmashes of different yes. ideas, where you can tell when it's not actually produced by humans. Right, and even today, I think the only time, if I recall correctly, someone's actually passed the the Turing test, at least in English, was with saying that the chatbot was like a teenager for whom this was their second or third language. Yes. Like that's what, that's what made it seem more human of, yes. oh, you just don't understand context in this language uh, or learning or something huh? like that. We are still at the point where the content itself, you can still tell when it's not produced by humans. And in terms of judgment calls and editorials, you can tell when it's not done by humans. I, w- I was reading an article last year or year for about, this is terrible. One of the London attacks, I don't remember which one now because now it's so regular, but I'm reading through and this woman is describing being at the scene and the screams and people are yelling and the police are there and she doesn't know if they're chasing a person or not. And then there is a lingerie ad under it with just, you know, oh, wow. sexy torsos. And you can tell that that was computer inserted, that no editor in a print in the print medium would oh, ever right. put that That's ad the, that was, that was the next to that yeah so next to that content that i i mean maybe i'm wrong this will be different in five years but he's right that certain work certain hmm. judgment calls still have to be done by humans even when they seem like very minor things you can tell when they're not or they can't be done i remember uh, seeing a piece uh, years ago about manufacturing croissants mechanically and the one thing mm. that they couldn't get a machine to do correctly was make a little crook shape at the end yeah. everything else but couldn't make the curve or something that. so i think he's on that. to something there with this, that detail It's where we are now in technology He was on to it 50 years ago exactly even though he anticipates very advanced technology yeah
0: absolutely mm-hmm. don't i'm just looking through the notes to see if there's anything okay. um, one thing um, i will point out Is that one of the very last BBC books, and I've been meaning for us to. Hopefully, we'll get to read it and discuss it at some point. It's a, and I've mentioned it before. It's a first Doctor Susan Ian and Barbara book. Takes place after the Aztecs, before Nala'k invasion of Earth. They get to Earth in two thousand three, and they think they're home. It's not Earth 2003 of our timeline. It's Earth 2003 if Votan had been successful in ah, taking over. Ah, very good. And the reason why this has happened is the doctor realizes and it's part of the reason why he's prescient about Votan here. He real he has not encountered Votan in his timeline yet. So that future exists until he can act on it Ah. because he can rewrite gotcha. history Ah, and in fact Susan asks, asks him about it and Susan says don't you realize my dear child we rewrite history every time we step out of the TARDIS meaning every time they open the TARDIS doors history changes hmm. even if it's just to stick their head out for a second
2: so in his mind he'll go back and fix it later Possibly,
0: but it pisses Barbara right off because <laughs> she realizes that the doctor lied to her. Yeah, because that was,
1: that was so much of his, his yeah. dealings with yeah, Barbara. Was... You cannot
0: write his, rewrite history, not yeah. one line. We, Did he lie can't... to
2: her or he just had not realized it yet?
0: Um, I it, In that book, it's interpreted that he's lied to her. And he's done so so that he can ease the pain of her not being successful. Hmm. The implication is she could have been successful possibly if she'd done enough or she'd done the right thing, but she didn't quite do the Hmm. right thing and didn't have
2: the skill at it. So he told her it's never possible, but in fact it was. Yeah, Yeah. because a Time
0: Lord can do it. Yeah, We've seen a Time Lord do it. Except in the new series, when we realize, oh, there are certain things he can't do because of fixed points in history and all that. Votan is obviously not a fixed point in history. Yeah. So at some point, I'd love us to go back and read that book again, but we're coming clo- we're coming up on the end of the Hartnell gear, so I'm not sure when we fit it in. <laughs> so any last thoughts before we go to uh, Goodreads?
2: The other territory I thought of in here, other than the post-apocalyptic. Episodes of Dollhouse was the oh, God, yeah. early 90s ser- um, mini um, Nick Fury versus S.H.I.E.L.D. I think it was written by Bob Harris before he was the DC chief editor. Yes. And I feel like, like six issues was like perfect bound like they were like double or triple size issues. My- it was very fancy mm-hmm. for the time. But it there's a similar situation where I forget if S.H.I.E.L.D. agents are being Rainwasher. I think they're just being replaced. Like it's a body snatcher situation. Right. But the way it manifests is that the younger people come back all obsessed with forms. like fill It fill out in triplicate. Yes.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: <laughs> conforming to protocol and making sure everything's properly written down. And the older we think of as the classic S.H.I.E.L.D. agents who are all, you know, World War II veterans, the, the older ones. <laughs> and then others like sort of, you know, sort of hippies or something. Um, characters are were created in the 60s were like, why are the kids these days so absor- obsessed with all this crap? <laughs> and it's the opposite of kids these days have no respect. It's like, why are the kids these days so obsessed with conforming to the rules? <laughs> and it's how they know that something is up.
3: Yes.
2: And it's a, it's, it's a recurring literary trope that I think does speak to how if we were actually to live up to many of our ideals of being the most efficient person, mm-hmm. it would be hella scary. Oh yeah. If we did all the things we thought we should do for our careers, you know, physically managing the household, etc raise your kids the perfect way, all of this, it would actually be terrifying. Yeah. yeah it would not man. be human.
0: This is true. Yeah.
2: And that's kind of my takeaway i got from this. Don't
0: thoughts before we go on to go. Yeah, on.
1: just too many constraints can make us inhuman, even mm-hmm. when we think we have our best intentions.
0: True.
2: And I like Sir Charles's folk remedy. Remember, uh, him, the secretary, the secretary, whatever, there's a girl who does typing. So the doctor is nearly, the the hand the, uh, has tried unsuccessfully over the phone to hypnotize the doctor with the sound. Yeah, don't do, do hate kind of, it
0: when your modem yeah. craps out like yeah. that. Yeah, well, but
2: yeah. he has gotten the equivalent of picking up to AOL or something yeah. like that. Yeah, the, the, been, bo- no, the no. ball I mean, rate was, wasn't quite high, yeah, high yeah, enough. Yeah, we're on through anyway. <laughs> so he's like been nearly knocked over. He's obviously not feeling well. <laughs> I'll get the girl to call a doctor," Sir Char- said Sir Charles anxiously. "No need. The doctor appeared to have recovered. Then take some brandy, at least," insisted Sir Charles. <laughs> so I like Sir Charles's folk remedy. There. Mm-hmm. You, know. you need an ambulance? I mean, I couldn't possibly, but I'll get the girl to call the ambulance. I'm too important to do it myself. And then I'll well, just have a stiff one. Why don't you?
0: <laughs> oh, there was something I forgot to mention. Um, There's a little snarky reference to the second Dalek movie Um, early on when they talk about the police officer uh, seeing the first doctor say okay, but also there's a snarky reference to the second Dalek movie, which came out a month after the serial ended, in which Scotland Yard is indeed whisked into time and space. So, yeah, it's.
2: Oh! You remember that. I showed that. Now that, to that you, you say it, yes. Yes. Yeah, this is why we have an expert.
0: And that whole thing about he mentions the Daleks in the TV version briefly, but this business about the hair standing up when he's around them never comes up again, but it's kind of nice. And the fact that they end up in a coffee shop. That does not happen on screen. It's so rare you see the doctor in a coffee shop. I think that's just lovely for some <laughs> reason.
1: Uh,. The ending with how they get in the TARDIS, yeah. that was kind of alarming to me. Thank they you. They were... It should be. <laughs>
2: I was trying to figure out whether or not they'd missed the ride or not. Like, did they successfully leave in the TARDIS or not? No,
0: they made it, but it's like, how the Ian, door just was open? Ian Stewart Black forgot a bit of business that he put in the script.
2: I, I took it as, it sort of accepted them as good candidates and took no, them in.
0: No, what, what was supposed to happen is this. After the capturing of the war machine in Covent Garden, the Doctor accidentally drops his TARDIS key. Mm. Ben picks it up and says, Here, Doc, you forgot. And the Doctor goes on and he's like, Oh, I'll just pocket this until later. So that later, when they come back, the Doctor has his own key, or he has Dodo's key or what have you. He He has a spare. And he goes in. Ben and Polly see him go in, and they say, why is he going into that police box? That's weird. And Polly has the key by that point for some reason and says, hey, we've got this. Mm. Let's go find out. Mm. And that's how they get in. That is explained, believe it or not, much better at the beginning of the next book, written by Terrence Dix, Mm. Who, since I've already started reading The Smugglers, I have a little more respect for than I usually do, (laughs) because I find that some of his books, sometimes it's not a matter of how late in the time it was that he wrote it, it's Mm -hmm. just his interest in the material. Mm -hmm. When he's interested in the material, you get a good book, and I think he's a little more interested in The Smugglers than I am. Mm -hmm. And he's definitely interested when he's introducing new companions, because that book does a better job of introducing Ben and Polly than this book does in that Mm. moment. Okay, But yeah, you'll get there. In fact, the televised version, you don't get to see their reactions until the next episode, which is such a shame because The Smugglers doesn't exist at all. And I can't believe I'm saying that about
2: a historical story. Like it's a lost episode? (laughs) Yeah,
0: whole thing's lost, except ironically, and I'll say this again next time, for cuts that Australian censors made because Doctor Who is considered too violent for Australian <laughs> broadcasting. Oh, really? So
2: only the most violent parts Yes.
0: <laughs> they somehow what happened was they cut those bits and those bits exist. But the episodes were sent back to Britain where they were junked. So <laughs> we have all these nasty bits of, you know, Polly being menaced by something, or a character being knifed to death, or someone drowning, and it's like this is all that exists in the story because the Australians are squeamish. From the prison call, it's so. Be- I know, isn't it it's so beautiful?
2: I lived in Chattanooga. The local NPR station was run by the Seventh Day Adventist University. Um, and they stopped. They dropped Prairie Home Companion because it was too racy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I wow. They also, I wonder somewhere they have like an audio file of all the dirty bits of Prairie I, Home Companion. I was just thinking today,
0: there's a, one of Gareth and Keeler's mon- uh, monologues it was about the time that uh, uh, one of those Norwegian people he said he was still feeling guilty over the fact, over the time, that he'd fallen down in church and said, God damn it. <laughs> <And> I was <laughs> like, how is this audience going to react to that? Because That's a swear for them. But Oh, my God.
2: That's a swear for everyone, it's I think. A swear for everyone. <laughs> well, it's been in Doctor It is a swear so... universally acknowledged. <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah. So, Goodreads? Goodreads. As we always do. Let's go to goodreads.com for online reviews of the book written by other readers and follow up with their own readings. By the way, if you're listening to this podcast and want to have your review featured, well, you know what to do. The average rating for this story out of five stars is 3.43, which is slightly higher Mm. than the savages you'd expect it. Here's some sample reviews. Jeff with one F (laughs) Mm. gives it five stars. Jeff. (laughs) Jeff.
2: Jeff. (laughs) Jeff. Jeff
0: says Jeff, it's, a, it's such a pity. no I'm not gonna do that <laughs> accent. It's such a pity that Ian Stewart Black wrote so so few novelizations. If you read only one piece of First Doctor prose, read this one. Mm. It's so perfect on every level. Yes
2: he is the enthusiast.
0: I guess so <laughs> Andy Simmons gives it a more sensible four stars and a more complete review. I've been reading the original William Hartnell stories in order for some time now. Join the club, Andy. (laughs) And I can honestly say that this is the best I've read in some time. That I will agree with. The basic premise is that London... Uh, the, do- the I think he meant the TARDIS. The TARDIS arrives in modern 1966 London, encounters a software a computer called Votan that intends to wipe out mankind as there a threat to its ex- existence. In order to do this, it hypnotizes humans to build war machines to take over London. The Doctor obviously defeats Votan and slips quietly away with two new companions. I could not help but think of the parallels between Votan and Skynet, though. If the BBC had the budget back then, it would not have been unreasonable to have Votan building Terminators instead of the clumsy-looking war machines from the show. All in all, a very good story for the period. Writing isn't brilliant, but that doesn't detract from the story. And finally, our old friend Daniel Kukwa also gives it five stars, saying, Although it's a landmark story in Doctor History, it's a forgotten novelization, which is a pity as not only does Ian Stewart Black develop the story of the characters and the situation to a sublime level, it even sets up retroactive backstories such as The Fate of Ian Chesterton that will be built on by later books and the TV series itself. I know, one of the finest of the target Doctor novelizations, engaging, emotional, exciting, even the kitty likes it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Even <laughs> Dodo, the most overlooked of companions, it's proper character development right from page 1. I'd go. say he's
2: ready on the curve there. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say so. The I curve, mean, curve, whatever. It is Stato, kind of, potato. Well, it's <laughs> kind
0: of hard to do dodo badly when dodo's not been ever done well. So Allison, we're going to start with you. How many stars would you give it? I'm going to go with
2: 2.5, which once again for me is pretty good.
0: It is. So, indeed, uh, uh, I'm I think
2: shocked. and partly that is I Last book was more thoughtful and interesting than I expected at the beginning, and then I thought kind of blew it at the end. Mm-hmm. This one, I felt similarly, but basically what I'm faulting him for is not anticipating our actual current issues with AI, um, fifty and thirty years before they actually happened, and no one else did either. So it's right. hardly his fault. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, I think he sets up some really interesting things here, especially to be writing in the '60s and then in the late '80s from mm-hmm. the episode and then in the novelization the itself. Age, right? Over his own previous work, he greatly improves in uh, style in terms of scene setting. Even though the the characterization is simple, it's still quite a bit more relatable and human than before. And he once again has some bigger ideas in there. So even though I'm not sure he's always successful with the big ideas at the end, it's all, you know, like I said, just kind of plot machinations. Mm-hmm. He sets up some really interesting stuff, but obviously we got a lot of interesting resonant stuff in there to talk about sure. that continues to this day. Okay.
0: Two point seven five, yeah. Dalton.
1: Uh I'm gonna go with four. Four stars.
2: He's a nice one, Dalton. Wow. I'm a, I
1: mean I'm I I'm I'm an easy uh easy going reader. He's um, a peaceful,
2: easy. I wasn't wondering where that was. He won't let up. you down. I wasn't just
1: gonna <laughs> leave it with "I am easy." Um,
2: <laughs> the whole different podcast, <laughs> anyway. Totally different um, rating.
1: No, t- I I really enjoyed this one. Like like I said, the the start from from the get go, this just like dropped me into this world, and um, yeah, I like to see where uh, where it went. Um, you and I were talking a little bit ago before we started recording. Um, initially. At, I thought this was leading towards the Cybermen, right? Um, which I I didn't even bring up in the prior discussion. Um, so it feels like this is like a little bit of a germination period. Like this is. is like the beginnings of that. Yeah. Kind of how before um, I don't even remember which story it was, but there was another like this is the beginning of the idea. I think it was when we were talking about the Doctor's uh, regeneration process. Right. Right. The savages. Well, cool. yeah.
2: dealing with technology, technology not just in a g-whiz, isn't it cool kind of way, but more of the social long-term implications mm-hmm. of it. Yeah,
1: and, and and kind of the, the ideas possible. of how uh, humans interact with technology, and technology ends up taking over humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I, uh, I really I really enjoyed it. I um, I hope that that Ben and uh, Polly are a little more fleshed out than some of the the recent uh <laughs> we hoped it of Stephen is spoilers <laughs> um no uh, I, I don't mind spoilers but i like where it's going mm-hmm. and um yeah if, if the stories keep up this uh, it, it only means good things yeah uh, i like i liked a lot of the action sequences i liked the doctor was part a big part of the story but he was he kind of like took the back seat a little bit right um so I I think that just shows like why I want more like Mm -hmm. the companions really are like well Ben anyway is at least showing (laughs) potential good potential oh yeah um Mm -hmm. and yeah and the 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 pros is it's fantastic i really like it so um yeah four stars for me all right
0: so. and i think the reason why you're seeing and i forgot to tell you this earlier i think part of the reason why you're seeing some preconceptions i'll call them of the cybermen is because ian i'm sorry i keep calling him ian peddler it's not ian peddler it's kit peddler kit peddler is a is the co-creator of the cybermen with mm-hmm. jerry davis yeah and we're two stories away from that yeah this is um kip pedler's first idea for the show okay so obviously that's going to be very much in his head the idea of technology literally taking over human consciousness
1: and even like the the ideas of the the war machines adapting Yes. And learning. Yeah. That's something that the Cybermen have done. They do now. Well, they do now. (laughs) Well, I'm familiar with the newer series. Yeah.
0: You've got the Neil Gaiman version of the Cybermen, which are much more Borg like, which I'm not sure I'm on board with, but then that's. (laughs) You're not on board with it. I'm not on board (laughs) with it. Oh, God. I hate you all. All right. As for me, as for me, I'm giving this a 3.75. Because, as I said last time, um, I was pleasantly surprised with this. I didn't remember liking this book nearly as much the first time. I'm not even sure that I read it the first time it came out. It would have been 88 or 89. So I was on my way to college and I wasn't buying the books by that point. Uh, This would have been something I bought later. So I'm not sure I've ever read this book before. Now I don't have a good a clear memory. Yeah, it is. It's, I don't have a clear memory of doing it, and it was a pleasant surprise. Whereas I remembered quite clearly disliking reading the savages mm. as a 16 year old, and I'm sure that colors part of it. But the prose is astonishing, and it's something we haven't talked about. The sense of London as a place. The sense of London as a yes. focus point in time.
2: Lovely.
0: London 1966 is as much a character in this book as anything yeah. else. And that's true in the televised version, too. And
2: not mm-hmm. just a series of greatest hit cliches, either. Not It feels like effervescent.
0: Because they're not far enough removed from their own time to be able to generate right. those greatest hits yet. You would need a span of at least a couple years or so. You can't really do I Love the 80s when you're still in the 80s. Right. And honestly, he's kind of doing it. I, in fact, I looked up some of the places that he was talking about, and he was talking about Carnaby Street. That's not mentioned in the original. Dodo doesn't know what it is. The Doctor does, and I looked it up. And it's fascinating, uh, folks, if you look on Wikipedia about Carnaby Street, the history there, but it does mean that the references in the book are just kind of weird, But Dodo has this reaction to a new generation taking over London. And that sounds more like the reaction of an older writer like Black than a young woman from that same time period. Yeah,
1: Covent Garden was the place I've heard of, I'm not familiar with, but I know the name.
0: Yes. And this whole thing about the post office tower. The post office tower in 1966 had this kind of just amazing rush of iconic feel about it the same way that the um the chicago beam to some degree when Mm -hmm. it was first made um the millennium dome when it was made in Mm -hmm. london even though it doesn't exist anymore Mm -hmm. um all of those things it was the wave of the future instant
2: sensation
0: instant sensation sears
2: tower was sears tower
0: exactly it had that feeling about it that this is humanity at its peak that technology is bringing us here. Of course, every once in a while you get weird things such as um they do say where the um, the Inferno Club is. They don't do that on screen, but I looked it up. <laughs> Let me see if I can find it real quick. Where the hell is it? Uh it is on a particular street which now is nothing but like fast food places. <laughs> And it's just kind of hilarious, and you think, well, probably in nineteen eighty-eight, it could still be thought of as a place where this yeah. hip now place called the Inferno, yeah. run by weirdly enough a, a teen- teenage girl. Yeah,
2: I thought that was the most extraordinary sci-fi part of the book. <laughs> about her having a legit business yeah. license, I'm like, can you be not old enough to drink, vote, or enlist and get a business license? Apparently, yeah, you apparently, can. Yes. Can. So
0: yeah, but all of this, it's interesting to find so much world building. In a Doctor Who book. And that world turn, turns out to be ours. Yeah. Hmm. You rarely get that in a Doctor Who book. So I'm vastly impressed by this. So, yeah. God,
2: not quite yet. but Not quite yet. We're not quite there yet.
0: As far as what?
2: As far as being enslaved to the machines. Well, no, 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 no. I didn't mean that
0: part. all. <laughs> but
1: it
3: like
2: London. Oh, yeah, sorry. Sorry, I went straight for the darkness. Uh, (laughs) This is what I have to deal
0: with. All right, so thank you guys.
2: I've got a a last closing quote here. Oh, do you? Okay. A light blazed from the computer. A new sound emanated from within. A high-pitched whine, which was soft at first, but rapidly increased in intensity. So what I'm saying is that he anticipated your uncle's Twitter and Facebook feed by decades. <laughs> a high-pitched whine that was soft at first but rapidly increased in intensity.
0: Or the one of our president.
2: <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. God.
0: Yeah, we we just lost, like, three people that were listening to us. Well, thank you, guys. And thank you, fellow time travelers, for giving us your valuable time. Next time, we look at the first novelization from the fourth season of Doctor Who, The Smugglers, which means... Officially, we're entering our fourth season, too. Mm. In the meantime, if you liked what you've heard here, like us on Facebook at Doctor Who Target Book Club Podcast, all in order with the spaces. You can also visit our nearly pristine subreddit at www.reddit.com forward slash rw forward slash dwtargetdc. I have been answering people's very few comments on there, and I've been enjoying it, so give me some more to list, uh, talk to also feel free to watch videos of our first 12 episodes give us a thumbs up or comment on youtube at youtube.com forward slash user forward slash dalek forward slash videos follow us on twitter we're at dw target bc subscribe to us via the podcast provider of your choice if all else fails you email us at dwtargetbc.com if only to tell us and remind us that we forgot to read the blurb on the back of the book this time. That's okay. We'll do better next okay, time. I will put the incidental music over Allison's wonderful dramatic reading from earlier. <laughs> You're too kind. I, I know I am. Thank you very much for listening and enjoy your travels. Bye-bye. Bye.
3: time. Come again, but, Doctor. Uh, what? Oh, nothing made by nothing.